Well, today we have officially entered into the season of Pentecost in the church calendar. Now, what is Pentecost all about, really? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's all about the outpouring of God's Spirit upon His church. Therefore, we're going to be looking today at the text, sort of the central text, for when this event happens, found in Acts uh, chapter 2. And we'll look initially at verses 1 through 21. It reads like this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This is speaking of the church. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Which, side note, shows that the tongues that were given here is actually the ability to speak in other known languages. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Quote, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'll go ahead and stop there for now. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, I pray this morning that you would pour out your spirit through the words that uh, you have given me to preach in the same way that you did upon the disciples in the early church this day of Pentecost so long ago. Preach through me, empower me, and give all who hear ears to hear and receive what is spoken, I ask in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. A couple of years ago, as I think most of you know or may remember, 
uh, I was asked to go and lead a Bible hour each day for a week at a place called Ocean Grove. And shortly after I got there, I noticed something about my car that didn't seem right. Every time I'd sort of pull up to a stop sign or a stoplight, my car would be idling, but it would start to kind of sputter and cough, and it just didn't seem to have much going for it. It felt like it might shut off. And then when I'd start to go again, it felt like the gas was barely getting to the engine, and so it would kind of sputter up and get going, but it would take a while to get going. And, and so I, I, it became pretty clear to me after a few days of kind of putting around town in my car that there was something indeed really wrong with it. Well, if you know me, you know that I know precisely no things about cars. Nevertheless, I decided that I'd look under the hood and at least pretend like men do uh, to maybe know what was wrong with my car. Uh, that was a failure. I did not figure out at all what was going on with my car. And so after a little bit of pretending, I decided to take it to a local mechanic to see what his opinion was. Well, what took me days to try and not figure out, it took the mechanic literally moments before he knew that the problem with my car is that it was, quote, misfiring, that I was having engine misfires. And the reason for that is because there were a number of spark plugs that had gone bad and my car was in fact only running, I think, on about half of its cylinders. Uh, for those of you who don't know much about cars, it's not a great thing. And the mechanic was actually kind of shocked that I was even able to drive it as it was because cars aren't really supposed to run with half their cylinders not working. Well, for me, I was just thankful that the problem was a a pretty cheap fix. All I needed was some new spark plugs and some, you know, get things connected again. And, and sure enough, the, everything was going to work. But here's why I'm telling you this story. I remember after the mechanic did what he needed to do to fix it, I remember being excited to get back in my little Subaru because I was close enough to the car having next to no power before that event that I looked forward to being able to drive it with much more power after that event, after it was finally fixed. And indeed, when I got my little Sub, and granted it's a Subaru, um, it did feel like it had more power. I mean, it did feel like it had more torque and more speed, and I was able to race around a little bit. And, and, and the point is, I needed, I needed a spark in order for the car to be empowered as it should be. The disciples were too often a lot like my Subaru with its misfiring. As a matter of fact, you look over the history of the disciples through the Gospels, and man, they're misfiring all the time, sputtering around, misfiring as they don't understand the ways of the kingdom of God, misfiring as they don't understand the identity of Jesus, misfiring as they're arguing with each other about who the greatest in the kingdom of God's going to be, and misfiring as even after they've seen the risen Christ, they're still sort of afraid to do anything. They lack direction. They don't know what they're doing. And so what do you do to fix the misfires? Well, Jesus says and promises them that he's going to send someone to empower them. That he's going to send, in fact, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, upon them. And that when that happens, they will finally have what's necessary 
to do the ministry they've been called to do as the church. And so as we've looked, as we've read the sort of seminal event, the very beginning event of the Spirit being poured out upon the church, and you've heard what that did to the church, I want to look this morning at, at how the Spirit empowers the church today from that text back then. I want you to see the connections. So first of all, how does the Spirit empower the church? Well, he empowers the church to fulfill the Scriptures, he empowers the church to fulfill the scriptures. Now, there's going to be multiple ways in which I'm going to point this out to you here. I'm going to need you to stick with me for a little bit because i got to give you a little bit of history in order for us to understand the rich tapestry laid out for us in this text of Acts chapter 2. First of all, what was Pentecost? Well, in the Old Testament, it's sometimes referred to as the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost is simply the name for 50th in Greek, and the Feast of Weeks was held 50 days after the festival of Passover. It began as an agricultural festival instituted by God to the Israelites from Mount Sinai. You can read about this in the book of Exodus. What would happen is the people would bring the first fruits of the barley that was planted uh, of their crop before the Lord as an offering. It was, it was a way of saying, God, I'm giving you the best of what I have right up front. I want you to know that I am worshiping you, not with what's left over, but with, with my best. And I want you to know that you are indeed owner of all of what you've given me. But it wasn't merely an agricultural festival. We do know that at some point in the Old Testament, and probably pretty early on, that this also became a festival that commemorated the giving of the law of God. Because again, that happened on Mount Sinai as well. And so we, we can see hints of this throughout the Old Testament as we dig through it, that this was not merely something that celebrated God's provision in agriculture, but it was also celebrating God's provision in the giving of his law. After all, Exodus 12 tells us that when, when they arrived at Mount Sinai in the midst of their wilderness wanderings, that they arrived in the third month, third month which would have contained the 50th day after their Passover event. Last thing you should know, as far as the history goes here, when God instituted the Festival of Weeks or Pentecost, he did so knowing that they would not be able to practice the festival for a number of years. Why? Well, you know, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You can't exactly plant crops and bring the fruit of those crops to God until you have a land that you can actually plant those crops. And so built into the institution of this festival was a sense of anticipation as the people longed to be in their true promised land that God had indeed provided for them some years later. Now, you're probably saying, okay, uh, thanks for the history. That's uh, all very exciting. But what does that have to do with the story before us today? Check it out. Just as the Israelites had to wait in hopeful expectation of meeting God at Mount Sinai after 50 days of wandering through the wilderness from their Passover event, so the disciples had to wait 
50 days from the resurrection of Jesus in order to receive the empowering of the Spirit. Just as the Israelites offered the first fruits of the harvest to God at Pentecost, God gives the first fruits of his Spirit on Pentecost to his disciples. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. And he even says that the Spirit's being given to the church is a down payment from God upon which he will complete the payment when we indeed rely, receive our promised land one day just as Israel did. Just as at Sinai, God spoke to the Israelites from the midst of fire. So too, the disciples have what looks like Tongues of fire appearing as they speak his word to the assembled peoples. Interesting about this group of assembled peoples, there was a rabbinical tradition about Mount Sinai that when God spoke, that he was able to speak in such a way that he spoke in 70 different languages at a time. Now, again, this is not specifically laid out in Scripture, but it was a rabbinic tradition. And the reason why they said he spoke in these 70 languages at a time when he gave the law to people was because that was the number to depict all the nations of the world in both biblical and Jewish literature. What does Acts chapter 2, verse 5 tell us? about who the disciples are speaking to in this passage as they speak in multiple different languages. There were devout, devout men from every nation under heaven. At Sinai, we see the declaration of God's law and the expectations upon God's people. At Pentecost... We hear the declaration of a new covenant of forgiveness and grace for those who have broken such law. The point is, the reason I'm telling you all this is first and foremost, we see in this passage, maybe subtly at first, but as we compare it with the Old Testament, we see a direct fulfillment of what was talked about in the Old Testament here with God's church. As so often is the case, the, the, the church father Augustine said it like this, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed and in the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. And this is yet another example of that. Just as the Passover the Israelites went through was always meant to be a sign that pointed us to our true and better Passover through Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. So Pentecost, or this Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament, was to point us to the pouring out of the Spirit by Christ upon his church. That's why Peter goes on to declare to the crowd there that this is indeed a fulfillment of prophecy found in the prophet Joel. So yes, at this feast, these scriptures are being fulfilled in the people's hearing. Uh, being fulfilled in the people's hearing. Now let me bring this all back down to real practical sort of brass tacks for you and I here. Why does it matter for you, sitting wherever you are right now? Well, first of all, it matters because we always must remember, as a church throughout all space and time in history, that the scriptures, and not merely the New Testament 
are always meant to point us to their fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it abundantly clear in his ministry that all the scriptures speak of him. And at that point, he's talking merely about the Old Testament. But he says, it's all about me. It's all about me. You need to read them through Christ-colored lenses. Secondly, for our purpose to today, we, we should realize and remember that there still is a sense in which when we gather as God's people, God's Spirit is still fulfilling the promises and pictures given to us in his word. He is fulfilling through his church what he promised he would do. Now, I'll admit, I've never had a tongue of fire descend upon my head. Not yet. Never know. But God is still working miraculously and powerfully as the church assembles. Now, you say, well, how so if we're not seeing signs like tongues of fire showing up and your ability to speak in a different language to people that speak different languages. Well, well, here's how, here's how. And it leads really to my second and, and main reason for the Spirit's empowering of the church. It, the Spirit empowers the church just as he did back then today because the church preaches God's word, namely his law and gospel. Ultimately, if you want to know what the Spirit's empowering is all about, it's not about big signs and wonders. We'll get to that in a little bit. It's about the proclamation of the Word. And so after Peter has explained what's actually going on, that this event they're witnessing is a fulfillment of the Scriptures, listen to Peter's message. Verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And listen to this harsh word. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is a statement of tremendous condemnation, or what we call in theological circles, this is a tremendous law statement on Peter's part. Peter is literally saying to this crowd, most of whom were certainly not present when Jesus was crucified, that because of the very fact that they're simply sinners, that they are just as guilty as those who were present of crucifying Jesus themselves. Indeed, this is part of the message that God has sent us out to preach and part of the message the Spirit empowers us to preach. That we are imputed and seen as guilty for being sinners. And because we're sinners, we have a part to play in the crucifixion of the Son. Yes, the Spirit empowers the church to proclaim that word. But the Spirit also, and most importantly, empowers the church to proclaim the word of the gospel for such sins. Empowers the church to proclaim the word of grace to Sinners. When the Spirit is empowering folks, 
Christ and his word are being proclaimed. Let me again bring this down to a real practical level for you. Why is that so important? Because all too often the church is prone to looking for the spirit in big signs and big wonders and big deals. You know, gold dust falling from the sky and the ability to do great miracles. Can God work like that? Of course he can. He's God. He can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, as long as it's according to what he's revealed in his word. Yes, God can do all that, sure. But too often we look at the signs and we fail to ask ourselves about the message connected to the signs. When the Spirit's empowering the church, the church is proclaiming God's law and God's gospel, pointing people to the work of Jesus Christ. After all, what did Jesus say to his disciples the Spirit was going to do? The Spirit's going to bring to remembrance everything that I've said. Listen, one person said it this way, a theologian friend of mine, that the Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity because he's always pointing back attention to Jesus. So let me take it even a step further. If the message being proclaimed from the pulpit isn't ultimately getting you to Jesus and his work, then the Spirit isn't doing the empowering. You could have a really dynamic speaker with all sorts of really insightful, even biblically-themed ideas, but if they're not pushing your attention there, it's a different kind of empowering. And why is the Spirit specifically empowering the church to share that message with people from literally all over the globe, as was done on this first day of Pentecost? Because it turns out God's Spirit is interested in the same thing that the other members of the Trinity are interested in, and that is He loves saving sinners. The Spirit empowers the church that sinners might be saved. Here's the order of things. It is the Spirit who transforms the sinner and creates faith in Jesus Christ. But the instrument the Spirit uses to bring about that change is the proclamation of law and gospel from God's word. It's not merely the facts of the gospel, although that's essential, but it is also the personal application of both law and gospel. Remember, Jesus, Peter doesn't say Jesus was merely crucified. He says, you crucified him. There's that personal application. You're guilty of it. But then he doesn't just leave his crowd there. After he said it for the second time, when we come down to verse 36, we're told that the crowd is cut to the heart because they know they're guilty by their sins of being responsible for crucifying the very Son of God and will therefore be held accountable by God. So what do they do? Well, they do what only any of us could ever do when confronted with such a reality. 
they look to Peter and say, how can I save myself? How can I save myself in the sight of a holy God if I'm guilty in some way of killing his son? Like, how, how can I, what can I do to be saved? Now, Peter doesn't just say, well, wallow in it, tough. You earned it. You're guilty. Face the consequences of your sins. No, no, no. Because that's not ultimately the message that the church is empowered by the Spirit to proclaim. The message we're empowered to proclaim is that salvation has been won for all. And so what does Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not only will, will you be forgiven, but you'll be empowered too. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That's why the Spirit empowers his church. As the church fulfills the scriptures by its mission and proclaims what God has done through his word in both law and gospel, he does it so that sinners might be saved and brought into heaven forever. That indeed is why the Spirit ultimately empowers his church and will continue to empower us, my friends. Because God's still got saving to do. So let us seek the Spirit's guidance and empowerment that we might faithfully proclaim the message he's given us to share. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, I ask that, that we would not depend on our own strength, which is like a sputtering Subaru far too often, but that you would give us the strength of your spirit, and the power of your spirit, to focus our attention perfectly set on the message of Jesus Christ. Help us to be proclaimers of both law and gospel to the world around us as your church. Empower us continually to do so. We ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.